You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning, and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. Welcome back once more as we continue with our study on the book of Ecclesiastes. We had a good time, I guess, as far as Ecclesiastes can go, uh, starting in on the book last week, and we're excited to be back. If it's your first time with us, uh, welcome. Uh, We're glad to have you with us. I just want to let you know this is week two of this study, and so as we go on, uh, we'll be uh, sharing those on our Facebook and YouTube pages uh, in video form, and we also have it in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, expect to see those come up on the Thursdays following the the live uh, video on Wednesday. Um, so I guess let's open with a prayer, and then we'll get right into the discussion. Okay. So I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Uh, I thank you for this good word from Ecclesiastes that comes to us. I pray that you would uh, help us to find the wisdom of the Lord in the fear of the Lord there. Uh, we know that uh, there are many things which we strive after in life, many things where we seek to find uh, purpose, and we know that, that true purpose can be found in you alone. I pray that you be with each heart and mind that's gathered around these words which we speak over the course of the next hour or so, that you would continue to uh, uplift their 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 eternal life which you have given them so that it might be uh, made whole in Christ the crucified. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. 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 Yeah, we, we find ourselves uh, today, uh, I guess I see a lot of people who are anxious about many different things, mm-hmm. and we find that in the book of Ecclesiastes. If we look just to this world, um, there's a lot of things that come up empty, that um, are seem meaningless, and so where do we find our meaning? Where do we find our peace, uh, our strength, our hope? And so the, the writer of Ecclesiastes um, points us uh, back to our Lord <clears throat> and uh, the one who ultimately gives us all of our peace and hope and purpose yeah. in life. So we to kind of re recap what we talked about in week one a bit, we entered into the discussion and realize that there are kind of two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. One is kind of the background uh, author, is what he kind of goes by or is known by. And then there's a voice from within the author's writing called the teacher. The Hebrew word is kohelet. So we talked about what that means and how uh, the kohelet is the teacher or the preacher, the one who gathers the assembly around him to to speak uh, truth. And so he begins his narrative, the, the, the teacher does, by saying, um, hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. That hev- word hevel is the Hebrew word for vapor, smoke, mist, mist uh, thing, thing which is 
truly there and exists, but when you try to define it or capture it or manipulate it, Get a hold it of it flows yeah. right through your fingers. And so he uses this word hevel a lot in chapter one, and we'll see that that, that theme continues into uh, chapters two, three, four, and beyond, um, that there's this idea that, that all of the things in life which we seem to want to be able to grasp and want to define our lives by, they're hevel, they disappear. Yeah. So, um, so we went uh, halfway through verse or through chapter one last week, and so we're uh, we'll finish chapter one and finish chapter two as well today. Uh, but we're starting in chapter one, verse twelve, and I'll read verse twelve through the end of the chapter, which is verse eighteen. All right. It says, "I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven." What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much, much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more the grief. Hmm. And, uh... That's and crazy coming from who we assume is Solomon. You the know, the wisest man who ever lived. The wisest man who ever lived, the one whom God granted to him in increasing gifts because of the 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 goodness of his wish to receive wisdom and he says this this gift this wisdom it ain't so much of a gift <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> much so, wisdom comes much sorrow so he he's de- he's describing his quest he's seeking after something mm-hmm. uh, so what is it and again what is the result well yeah his his quest is to see what can be defined what can be manipulated what can be controlled in this life if anything can be at all he's he's trying to employ wisdom to see if there's anything in this life that can be found under the sun meaning anything in all existence and all of the human experience that can give a sense that's that's something that's solid that's not hevel that's not smoke that doesn't just go that you can yeah. kind of something of lasting significance into. lasting significance is a great yeah. way to put it yeah um so he's that's what he's employing. He's employing his gift that he has of of wisdom, of of knowledge, of understanding to try and see if he can find that. Okay. And and what is his conclusion? What's what's the result of um all of these things he's trying to hold on to? Yeah, not so hot. Um yeah. he says he applies himself to this understanding of wisdom, which is a noble pursuit. There's there's human beings that have spent a life that are well respected by the rest. You think of people like Isaac Newton, Einstein, uh, you know, other truth seekers, not just in sciences but in mathematics and theology. You've got multiple examples of these men and women who spend their whole life trying to find truth, and that's a noble pursuit. But no one ever did it quite as well as Solomon his whole life. No one yeah. was as gifted as he. In, in employing this knowledge. And so he applied himself to this. 
And he also applied himself to trying to understand the opposite of what was good to see if that had any. So he's he's meaning or lasting significance coming at it from both ends, right? Yeah. And the end result is it too is just a chasing after the wind. It too is like trying to grasp onto smoke. There's just nothing to hold on to there. There's nothing to walk away with at the end of the day. Okay. Nothing of lasting significance to use the phrase. Yeah, there's a there's a, a phrase here in verse 15. He said, "What is crooked cannot be made straight." Uh, so, what is he what is he talking about there? Th- that's kind of a tricky one. I think that it's sort of a parable thing, and you see that it's if you have your Bible there, it's written in kind of a, a center space column, which typically means that it's a a bit of wisdom or a quote from another source or something that's being utilized to. Uh, being put in here. So we don't know exactly where this comes from. It's not like this is pulled from, you know, Deuteronomy Proverbs or, or, Proverbs yeah. or something. So we don't have an exact quote, but you do see it's being used for a specific purpose here. And that specific purpose is to say the, essentially, the, what kind of popped into my mind is, have you ever had like a slinky that's become tangled before? Okay. Uh-huh. Once it gets tangled, you, you, the slinky's done. Like you can work really hard to try and untangle it. And you can twist it just this way and move it just this way. But essentially, once a slinky gets tangled, you can't ever straighten it out again. And essentially, that's kind of what I think this is trying to say is the harder you try to employ wisdom and understanding, the harder you try and grasp something in this life, the more fleeting it becomes, the faster it runs away from you, the faster it gets tangled and and increases in its complexity rather than becomes plain. Yeah. I I kind of had the understanding that there were there there were some things that God made a certain way mm-hmm. and when those things are made a certain way you, you you just can't change them. Going against the Yeah. Um, the way things are is not good. Yeah. And I, I I thought of the serenity prayer, you know, uh Lord grant me the serenity to know what I cannot change, mm-hmm. the courage to change what I can change and then the wisdom to know the difference. And um, but there's some things in life that God has put in place that will not change, and for us to try and change them, um, uh, for those things that are crooked, you can't make a slinky straight. Yep. <laughs> um, All right, let's go on to the next question here. Uh, in verse 17, we have the the teacher explaining uh, the methodology of his quest by simultaneously examining wisdom and its opposite, which would be folly or madness, which is how he says it. So, in what other passages of the Bible is understanding related to two things which are opposite of each other? Okay. I thought of things like in the Lutheran Church, a lot of times we talk about the law and the gospel, the, hmm. the, the, the distinction between law and gospel. Uh, we need to hear both the law and the gospel because we're sinful human beings. Um, uh, both of them apply to us, but both are opposite. The, the law tells us how we become right with God through our own works. Um, uh, and, and again, there's multiple meanings and uses of the law, um, but the gospel tells us that uh, Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation. And so, but it what I like about that is that it holds us in attention yep. uh, so that we hear both law and gospel. Uh, we despair of ourselves and we cling to to Christ who has won salvation for us. Yeah. Uh, so that was one example I, I thought of. Yeah. Uh, the Bible is full of these kind of distinctives, right? Mm-hmm. That They aren't necessarily like polar opposites necessarily, like north and south on a magnet, right? It's more like 
sometimes they're complementary. Like I would argue the law and the gospel are not exactly opposite to each other. They're more complementary distinctives, right? Okay. The, the law leads to the gospel, mm-hmm. and then the gospel produces in us the desire to fulfill the law. So it's kind of a circli- cyclical, cyclical yeah. thing. Um, the other examples are like uh, one of the th- kind of things that I like is whenever we talk about heaven, we never talk about it in positive terms, meaning we never talk, not that we don't say good things about heaven, but we never talk about it in like affirmative terms saying heaven is this. We always say heaven is not like it is right now on earth because we don't truly have the vocabulary to describe the divine, to describe heavenly things. And so heaven and earth are in essence opposites because they're used in, in that kind of contrasting way. We say heaven is what earth is not. Yeah. Or we say... Um, that righteousness is hard to describe, but it is perhaps you could say what sin does not do. Okay. Um, and so in those essence, in that essence, it's yeah. it's opposites. So. And another idea that I thought of, I don't know if this is completely right, is uh, uh, on the one hand we're we are made of dust, um, and yet on the other hand, the scripture tells us that we are God's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're priceless in His eyes, and sometimes those two. Uh, don't necessarily make sense, but that's that's the reality. But it, on the one hand, it keeps us humble mm-hmm. um, uh, because we are frail as dust, uh, and yet on the other hand, we're as highly prized as anything that God has ever created, yeah. and which is a mystery, and uh, and yet it's a part of who we are. That one that you just said made me think too of the Lutheran understanding of. Uh... I'll I'll use the Latin the simul justus et peccator simultaneously saint and sinner. Yeah. But at the same time we have opposing natures within us. We've got the old Adam at work within us trying to lead us to sin and we've got the new man Christ working within us to try and make us righteous before God. Yeah. And we're not one one day and one another. Sometimes uh one prevails over the other d- during a certain period of time, but yeah. Uh, they are polar opposites of each other in that sense. And we have both at the same time. So if there's ever a time you feel a little schizophrenic, that's, that <laughs> might be the reason why. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, in verse 18, the, the teacher says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. Um, and so as he talks about wisdom, he talks about this mixed blessing. And how do we understand that? Yeah, my mind when I read this immediately went to this is this is me as a millennial here. My mind went to the Spider-Man movie that came out in the early 2000s. Uh Uncle Ben was talking with Peter Parker and Peter was going through changes becoming Spider-Man and Uncle Ben told him with great power comes great responsibility. And I get that quote popping into my brain when I read this. Solomon has obviously been granted and gifted with a great Response with a great gift, a great power, but with that came a huge burden on him of responsibility of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, some of this ties back to the Garden of Eden, right? The the tree that Adam and Eve ate of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and knowledge is power certainly, but with that comes a heavy load of responsibility and burden to understand the true nature of good and evil. So uh, you get that that kind of weightiness of, of power and responsibility here. Yeah. One, one of the examples that, that Solomon uses is the fact that he recognized, even as a wise man, that our fate, the fate of a wise man is the same as the fate of a fool. Mm. Um, um, 
at the end of their life, it's the end of their life. They can take nothing with them. Yep. Uh, their life is over. Uh, all, all the toys go back in the box and we give it back to God. Yep. And, uh, and that, that's what happens with everyone. Um, you know, we've, we've said, you know, when people have passed away that we never take anything with us to heaven. We don't take a hearse with us, um, or we don't take a U-Haul with us to heaven. And, um, um, but that, that is the, the life of all people. And, um, for Solomon, um, that was a part of the burden that he carried mm -hmm. to recognize there was no difference uh, between him, the wisest man in the world, and the fool in the corner mm -hmm. um, that was just able to survive. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah. But uh, we can keep reading the, yeah. the next section of Scripture. So we're going to read the next 17 verses. Um, and this is under a section called Pleasures Are Meaningless, and then a section called Wisdom and Folly Are Meaningless. So uh, actually, we'll read the next 16 verses. We won't read all the way to 17. We'll stop at 17. Um, so uh, continuing on from that mindset where we ended in on the last section about with wisdom comes much sorrow and knowledge comes grief. So I thought in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Okay. Here again, the, the teacher describes another quest that he has. And so what's his quest? And again, how does his quest end? Yeah, well, I was actually going to read to 16, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, but but keep that question in mind and we'll come back to it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next section is called Wisdom and Folly also are meaningless. So we talked about pleasure being meaningless, and now he's a, perhaps applying himself to something less fleshly and more spiritual now. So uh, then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. When I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also, what then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. 
Like the fool, the wise men must die, must too die. Okay. Two must die, excuse me. Yeah, so there's a, a couple of different quests that he's working after trying to grab onto, and again, the result is mm-hmm. the same. And it's interesting, he's doing these things while also being kind of conceptually or academically honest with himself. Like, mm-hmm. you, you heard... Uh, in the first section, he said, but I maintained my wisdom while he was doing the pleasure stuff. Mm. And he maintained his higher perspective as he was testing the natures of wisdom and folly. So he's doing this sort of as a researcher, allowing himself to kind of go into the world of humanly pleasures and human pursuits, while also still having in the back of his mind this... this uh, identity as a researcher, a person who has a a core principle of understanding and wisdom to employ towards these goals. And so that gives him a different different viewpoint than someone whose life is truly hedonistic or truly uh, a a philosopher or a a, um, sophisticate, you know, someone who's just a thinker. Um, He's got that toolbox behind it yeah he's trying to to understand it apply it and pass it on to someone the the things that he's learned and uh whether it's pleasure or wisdom or folly um and yet all of these come up meaningless as well yeah uh, chasing after the wind yeah and he says the end result the fate is the same and at the core of that certainly you get the sense that wise men and fools die pleasure seekers and shrewd men die but there's there's more to it than that it's the fate of of these people is not just death like that's the big part of it is the death is the great equalizer it makes everyone laid low but there's also the uncertainty of success like a wise man does not necessarily always succeed over a foolish man if you want proof of that check out who's in you know yeah. government the seat of government right now uh, I'm not making a political comment here. It's been that way for generations. Um, but it, you get the sense too that that pleasure seekers don't always pay their comeuppance for being uh, hedonistic and, and earthly thinkers over m- people who kind of have a, a like a Zen Buddhist approach to rejecting the world. Right? They don't always come up better. Like the Buddha's whole perception was. His whole concept was by rejecting the world, you'll finally obtain enlightenment. But there's been plenty of Buddhists who have had terrible lives and have died horribly and have had a lot of injustices perpetrated against them. So his premise that life will be better if you just reject earthly things and don't seek after pleasures is, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite hold water, right? Um, now, this is the difference between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. When you're reading through Proverbs, it gives this the, it gives a lot of examples of proverbial phrases that are default settings. Like, if you are wise with money, you will be wealthy. If you are uh, a person who honors God, God will bless you. But that's not always true. Okay. And that's what the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is trying to show, is perhaps Proverbs are good when you look at the macro level, like you know, 90% of cases. Generally, this is what happens. Generally, it's good, but not all the time. And if it was, you know, if God was truly control, you know, controlling the fate of these, these people to an extent where you could guarantee yourself 
you know, success or health or well-being by doing these things than you would. And so something is amiss here. And that's what the the teacher sort of his research project is about here is he's saying wisdom should grant me a better life than folly, but it doesn't necessarily always work that way. Yeah, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Uh, another example is Job. Uh, mm-hmm. Job was a righteous man and yet um, um, suffered greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, and yeah. so, yeah. And so he continues um, with this phrase, everything is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Um, nothing is gained. Nothing new is gained under the sun. Um, and so what, what are his conclusions about wisdom and folly? That even though wisdom should be better than folly, it all comes out in the end to have the same ultimate fate of a wise man doesn't necessarily live longer days or have a better life than a foolish man. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to make sense to him. And 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 there there may be a again a generality that we could say that generally wisdom is better than folly, mm-hmm. but uh, again the same fate ends uh, comes to both people, mm-hmm. um, and and that's just how life is, and um, and so as uh, um, so what what is the ultimate what does he say is the ultimate ending for both those who are wise and foolish. Um, uh, he says that neither will be remembered, they'll both be forgotten, they'll both die. Mm-hmm. And uh, so looking at just that conclusion, his his conclusion is that life is meaningless. Yeah. Um, and and that's just the end. Um, <laughs> not, which is, not doesn't give a happy. lot of hope. Yeah, doesn't not give a lot of hope. <clears throat> not that's where you got to remember the, the whole scope of Ecclesiastes in the entire uh-huh. book. He's doing these mental exercises mm-hmm. and these like discussions with the assembly, which includes us, as a way of trying to break down our preconceived notions. Because there's probably a lot of us who feel like if I'm if I apply wisdom in my life, I'll be better off for it and God will bless me. Like we may not say that out loud because we're attempting to be humble, but most of us feel that way. And when things don't work in accordance with the plan that we feel should be how God treats us, we get all hot, you know, hot under the collar about it and say, God, you know, I've been, you know, tithing at church. I've been wise. I've raised my kids to follow you. Why did you let my wife get cancer? You know, why did, you know, it, it just, Life is not uh, simply following the rules to get good stuff, and that's really what's behind the whole nature of Ecclesiastes. And sometimes we even begin to question God, if God is just or holy or righteous uh, because of the bad things that happen. And, um, uh, uh, you know, as a Christian, we can step back and say, okay, there, there are times in our life where we recognize that God is, is testing our faith. Uh, in the same way that he did with the Israelites, I think in the Old Testament, when um, they had to spend forty years in the wilderness, um, <laughs> God was testing their heart to see to see if they would trust Him and believe in Him. And um, there were sometimes they grumbled, and God sent uh, some kind of uh, uh, punishment. Uh, there were times where they wanted to overthrow uh, Moses or the other leaders in the wilderness, and. Uh, again, God would open up the earth and swallow people up, and um, but um, um, yeah, there's um, God tests tests our heart to see what is there, and it's it's often in those difficult times in life that those times of testing come. Mm-hmm. 
And that doesn't make it any easier, but... Um, this yeah. perhaps gives us some perspective as to why those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it may not give us the answers of how to act after that, but we at least get the picture of, okay, well, no one ever promised, including God, that life would be wonderful as long as we did the right things. Yeah, in fact, he told us right after Adam and Eve sinned that life was going to be hard and difficult. There was going to be suffering and pain involved. Um, So it's almost like, so anytime it does work out that wisdom blesses your life, it's not that that's the way it should work. It's that that's the grace of God at work in your life because you don't deserve that at all, no matter how hard you work for it or how wise you are or anything. Okay. There's a interesting statement in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 17. We haven't read it yet, so maybe we should go ahead and break in and read 17 to okay. the end of the chapter first. And... Okay. Well, there's a couple of questions on 17, so let's read. Um, I'll, I'll just read 17. It says, okay. he, um, um, the writer said, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so uh, here he talks about, I hated life. And what does he mean by that statement? Um, why did he hate life? Not that he hates like the gift of life which God gave him, but he he is learning that life itself is more challenging than initially than than people initially assume. Um, we like to think that that life, like the the seventy years that we have, seventy plus years, if we live a full life, that we are not guaranteed, but that we expect are not necessarily always the blessed things that we assume they are. And so that this harsh reality is hitting him hard, that he's got a full life pretty much well lived behind him, where he's been trying to figure out what life is all about. And the harder he searches and the more wisdom he applies to this task, the more he realizes that what we think of as our life is actually not what it's about not what we're here to do or be about. Yeah. So, and and I, the thought came to my mind that he's recognizing something that we all recognize is that life is frustrating at it times. It is. Mm-hmm. And I, we hate when we're frustrated. We hate when we, we plan on something, we carry out the plan um, exactly the way we want. And then we get results that we don't expect. Something falls out of the bottom. Yep. And we become frustrated, and out of that frustration, uh, we say, I hate this. I, I hate when this happens. This is not what I intended. The the engineer mind in me is thinking about this. Humans love problem solving and puzzles. They love it when, when you know, they love balanced budgets where everything just lines up just so and where you can, you know, make the pieces fit just perfectly, you know. And they like it when things match up the way they should. And our lives are not like that at all. Yeah. Our lives are not a puzzle piece which just lines up just perfect and everything is wonderful and everything fits the way it should and goes the way it should. Our children are healthy, wealthy, and wise. We grew up with no problems. Our careers are always a success because we apply ourselves to them. Life does not work that way for anybody. Right. And we don't like that because this problem-solving, puzzle-fitting, aligning kind of mentality that's within us doesn't work doesn't work out the way we want it to. Yeah. It frustrates us. It makes us not like our lives. It makes us hate that about our lives that it doesn't work the way we want. 
Yeah. There's a, another place in Scripture, in, uh, in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus, is, Jesus uses the word hate. And in this passage, in Luke 14, 26, he says, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so um, here Jesus um, is using this word hate in yet another way. And so how do we understand his use of hate in this, uh, in this context? This is a very hard question. When people ask this, I, I always tend to ask them why they're asking, because sometimes people come from broken households and they've got an abusive parent and one who's a Christian and they want to be a Christian but knows that it'll cause division in their household or whatever and so they truly do have a a sense of loathing or hatred for someone in their family and that's really not what Jesus is calling here he's not calling for a violation of the you know the fifth commandment that we should hate somebody with the malice in our heart towards them. Instead, what he's saying is it, it's it's going back to the idea where we talked about opposites or contrasting distinctive ideas. That's what he, I think, is getting to here is to say he's using the word hate to draw you towards the opposite of that word, to say what is it that's worth loving so much that it seems like what you're doing to the opposite thing is hatred towards okay. it. Um, so that's where you come in verse 26 of Luke, as you say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and child, his brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, my disciple. He's simply showing the contrast of how intensely devoted and loving and in love with Jesus and his ministry you need to be uh, so that you will look at all these other things, which are truly good gifts from God. And say, in comparison's sake, it seems as if though I would I would say I hate these. Not because I have malice or hatred or, or deep-seated enmity in my heart for my father, mother, brother, wife, son, daughter, whatever. But if it were to come down to a scale where it was my love for Jesus and my love for everything else in my life, the amount of love I have toward Jesus makes it seem like the amount of love I have for everything else in my life is nothing. Okay, is virtually absent. So it it kind of sounds like the as what we talk about in the explanation to the first commandment. Mm -hmm. um, so that we love, we fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and so that we say that our our love for God is um, is is greater than our love for anyone else. Yeah. And um, and it's precisely because of the intensity of our love for our God that we become better equipped to love all these other people yeah. and to love our life, frankly. We'll find at the end of Ecclesiastes, when it comes to it, the fear, the fear of the Lord and the wisdom which we gain from that fear is the only thing which gives anything else in our life, including family, including work, including our own lives themselves, any purpose or meaning, so that we can say, those are valuable things. I should use them well. I should invest in my family, invest in my work, and do good things. But until you reach that point where you realize if you put your confidence and hope in those other earthly things that they don't show, they don't provide what you think they will, only God can do that, that you get to the point where you can actually commit to those things the right way. Yeah. And I think of the passage of scripture that says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Mm. 
And so the, the, the real wisdom that God wants us to have is to recognize who he is as God and to love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when we do that, everything else lines up in place so that, as you said, we, we can love our neighbor, we can love our parents, our, our spouse, our children in the way that God would have us love, love them and care for them. Definitely. Yeah. And... Um, and so that was verse 17, and uh, the next section of Scripture is, is verse 18 to 26, and that will take us to the end of, of the second chapter. And um, so I'll read that. Um, here it says, uh, verse 18, I hated all of the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Uh, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun. All his days, his work, his pain and grief, even at night his mind does not rest, this too is meaningless. A man cannot do a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives a task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And uh, so here we have the teacher explaining the, the, the vanity of the work that we do, uh, the toil that we, um, um, uh, that we go through in life. And... Um, again, it can feel like we just end up uh, frustrated and in despair because everything that we work for, everything that we strive for just goes to someone else. Mm. And, um, and, uh, uh, so why does a teacher hate his toil? Um, uh, again, because all his efforts do him nothing. They're hevel. They're hevel. They're smoke. They don't produce the yeah. fruit that he wishes they would. Yeah. And um, so, so as, as you know, he finds this frustration, this hatred. So, what might be a uh, a way around this hatred, so that we could actually enjoy um, the labor that we do, the life that we live? Um, what could be a way that we actually enjoy these? these these activities. So the subtext that we get from the teacher is everything he's doing so far, he's sought pleasure to find purpose and meaning for himself. He sought wisdom and then sought the nature of folly to understand for himself if those can produce anything good for him. <clears throat> Excuse me. He also realizes that all the work and toil that he does doesn't produce anything good for him. It just goes to somebody else. You'll notice that the the sort of example that he's producing, this image of the person who's working and obtaining uh, understanding through all these efforts, is doing it all for whom? For himself. For himself. Yeah. 
So that in itself, that's a subtext. He doesn't specifically say out and out that he's doing it incorrectly, but you get the sense that the reason why he's driving himself into such a depression here is because all of his pursuits and all of his uh, fierce seeking of of understanding is for himself so that he can understand and then he has a good natured uh, reason for that because he wants to understand for himself and obtain these things for himself so that he can share with others but he actually is doing that by his failures he's sharing with us not based on the success that he found the answer to life and everything and you know wrote a self-help book here's how you make your life better in 10 easy steps instead he's saying you know Here's a hundred steps and none of them worked. <laughs> That's not going to be a bestseller, right? No, on the no. New York Times, <clears throat> try these hundred steps. Yeah. They're absolutely futile. Yeah, <laughs> they don't produce any lasting meaning in You'll life. You'll be frustrated. Yeah. yeah, you'll be frustrated in life. Um, so he's trying to obtain these things for himself to some degree, and so, um. You know, we should perhaps avoid that. That's that's where we can perhaps start, is to say we may not have the exact understanding of what gives meaning and purpose, but we know for certain it's not in seeking to obtain material blessings or understanding or knowledge or or uh, value for ourselves. As long as we keep trying to do that, we're never going to find anything that's lasting or meaningful. Okay. And, and so, so, uh, again, how could we, so, uh, if we don't live for ourselves, uh, how has God created us, uh, to live in such a way that we can enjoy the things of the world? Sure. So if we don't live for ourselves, <clears throat> we can, we can say we live for God and we actually find that when we live for God, we live for other people. We yeah. live to love and serve them and, and. And that begins to bring joy in life. Uh, that begins to bring happiness when we um, begin to serve our neighbor, love and serve our neighbor. Um, that's and, and we say that's the way God intended things to be. And even a life that's utterly devoted towards the, the well-being of others and the honoring of God is not necessarily guaranteed to produce in you a good life. Right. Uh, but it's certainly a better option than the alternative. And I think that's sort of what the teacher is getting at is um, what's the, it's almost like a what's the lesser of two evil kind of thing, right? You've got a sinful, broken world to contend with and nothing you do can do anything to change that. But you can either despair in it and become a hedonist or you can just become a fool or you can spend your entire life trying to seek after knowledge and wisdom and success for yourself or you can deny all that and seek to do things for God and for the good of others. And it may not guarantee you a good and happy life, but at least you'll be closer to the heart of God that way. You'll have a better understanding for why the world is not fair, why the world is not good. And you might actually help others who find themselves in a situation where their life is unfair and help them bring them out of that situation. Yeah, I think of one of the things that Jesus said. He said, you know, if you follow me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And those actually those three things uh, give meaning and purpose and hope in life mm-hmm. so that we deny ourselves. We don't live for ourselves. Um, he also tells us we need to pick up our cross. And so there, he reminds us that there will be a cross that we bear in this world. And those crosses are often heavy and hard, and they bring about suffering. Um, and then also in following him, um, 
uh, we live as his people and and uh, do the things that Jesus did. And those are the things that give us the most happiness and peace and joy in life. There's a couple of things you can say <clears throat> about the cross. You can't say that it's particularly glorious. You can't say that it's particularly powerful or or wonderful. But one thing you can't say about it is that it's meaningless. Right. Crosses are fraught with meaning, fraught with purpose. And obviously the cross of Christ is the most purposeful thing ever, right? That's right. what delivers all humanity from utter demise, right? For all eternity. And so God is giving us crosses to bear too, and they're not glorious. They're not nice. They're not comfortable. But what they are is they're one of the only things that's purposeful, that's meaningful, that's not hevel about this life, that's not smoke, that's weighty. Okay. And so, you know, does God want us to enjoy life? Um, you know, that could be a question that people ask uh, with all the suffering that goes on in the world. Uh, we sometimes live in an anxious time. Um, th does God want us to enjoy life? And if so, how do we look at life in a way that, that gives us some enjoyment? I would say God does want us to enjoy life, but that's not his primary purpose for okay. our being. So it's not, again, if, it, if we live just to enjoy life, uh, again, that would be a, a selfish way. If it's just, I want to find pleasure, mm -hmm. uh, we've heard that that's meaningless. Um, <clears throat> but um, I agree with you that God does want us to enjoy life, and so he gives us all kinds of good gifts. Yeah. And when we recognize them as gifts, when we recognize God as the giver, uh, it, it uh, causes our heart um, uh, as God does his work, it causes our heart to be thankful and grateful. Yeah. And that's one of the greatest, um, I think it's one of the greatest mindsets that we can have is to recognize that God is the giver of all good gifts. And when we are uh, filled with gratitude and gratefulness to the gifts that God gives us, uh, whether it's the sun that shines or the rain that falls or the friends that we have or the spouses that love us, um, um, you know, the families we have, the country we live in, um, all of these are gifts from God, and he wants us to recognize uh, the goodness that it brings us. And, and when we recognize that they are gifts from God um, and our heart is thankful, um, that's kind of the best posture that we can be in, mm -hmm. um, is to have those thankful hearts. And that's really what leads to worship. Um, uh, worship is... Uh, um, we recognize our own sinfulness, and we recognize a God who forgives us and loves us and and teaches us how to live. Yep. And um, um, with that, our, our, we can enjoy even the simple things in life. Um, um, you know, I, I think of people that, um, I know that the uh, uh, Paralympics followed the Olympics, and there's, there's a lot of people that um, um, have suffered in different ways. Um, and yet they find great enjoyment, even as someone who has lost a limb, um, they find great enjoyment in using and um, doing something with their body mm -hmm. that, um, um, <clears throat> that, that demonstrates the abilities that they do have. And, and that brings them great joy. Mm. Um, and um, so there, there are so many things that we can be thankful for. And, and God just simply wants us to recognize that. The gifts that we have are gifts from his hand, and, and uh, um, we begin to, to look at the world in a different way. Yeah. 
And it's important, I think, that you remember Ecclesiastes is always kind of focused on the life lived now, but God's perspective is bigger than just the life lived now, right? Mm-hmm. It's the eternal life which we have through Christ or the eternal life that we'll spend apart from Christ. And God's considerations for us, I would say, are less on how many days we enjoy now and more mm-hmm. how many days that lack enjoyment now can we sustain such that we can see the promise and the fruit of joys spent in 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 eternity forever with him yeah and god would much rather see us never enjoy a single day here in our earthly life and spend the entirety of eternity with him than to have all the days of joy in the 70 years we're here and spend all of eternity apart from him Mm. with no joy whatsoever yeah, there's the passage of scripture that says, you know, what if we gain, you know, gain the whole world but forfeit our soul? Um, yeah, it does us no good. And uh, and so uh, again, over and over again, we see the phrase um, "under the sun, striving after the wind." Um, and so, what do they teach us about? Um, uh, we've kind of talked about this, but what does that teach us about life here on Earth? Um, Man will, mankind will always have the desire to attain, obtain mastery and control over the world around him and his life. And as he continues to strive for that, it will continue to be elusive because it's actually non-existent. It's fleeting. It's hevel. It's smoke. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the examples of this you can see are, you know, when you see men and women who are at the top of the social chain and then their whole life comes crashing down. You have people who are, who are, um, you know, celebrities who go through, you know, um, scandals and then their life's torn apart. You get people who spend their whole life trying to become wealthy and then commit suicide when they're 65 and realize this is all their life has ever amounted to. You've got, um, you get, pastors who get to the end of a long career in service to God and say, you know, I wasted my whole life doing that uh, and wish I would have gone and been a business person instead. You've got a lot of examples of this where people think they have a thing that that's in front of them. It's a carrot on a stick that they're going after and they realize the more they try and get that carrot, the further and further away from them it gets. They get to the end of a life lived in pursuit of that carrot, and then they don't have anything else to ascribe meaning and purpose in their life. Yeah. And this, again, this life ultimately passes away, and, um, and, and that's it. I, we were talking about comfort before, and, and, and I just, uh, there's a phrase that someone once said that God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Mm -hmm. Uh, he wants us to, he wants to develop, uh, character is uh, I guess what I refer to is as he builds his image in us, um, he wants us to be like Christ. He wants us to be like, um, he wants us to have the same characteristics that he himself has. And um, um, and so he's constantly working in us, not for our comfort, but for our character. Yeah. Mm. And, um, and so the king in, in, um, in these verses, talks reveals a, a self-indulgent heart, a self-centered heart. Uh, again, that's in a big contrast to the heart of Christ, and um, and so we've we've talked about that. But any other comparisons that you see, um, uh, um, 
comparisons or contrasts that you see in, in these two hearts? Uh, you, you could say Christ went on the same mission of purpose, finding purpose in the world for on behalf of mankind, which is the pursuit of the the teacher. He's used, used utilized and employed wisdom to try and gain understanding. His his mission was to obtain it for himself, so that by knowing that he could share it with others and and perhaps obtain prestige. Christ realized that he came into the world to um, gain a knowledge and an understanding and share it with others. Uh, through his word and his teaching, not so that he could be highly regarded, but so that others could be set free from the constant desire of trying to obtain the world. Yeah, I think of the when Jesus said to his disciples, I didn't come to be served, but to serve mm -hmm. and to give my life as a ransom for many. So that really it's a, a humble spirit. Yeah. Um, and obviously... It's it's weird to say Jesus came to learn these things and then teach them. Because on the one hand, he's divine. He's God Almighty from the very beginning. He knows all things throughout all history. But yet, he learned his, I was going to say ABCs, but I guess it would be Aleph, Aleph, oh. <laughs> um, his Hebrew letters. And he yeah. learned words and how to speak. He learned rhetorical styles so that he could share with other people. He learned wisdom the same way Solomon learned it by questioning, asking, reading, teaching. I mean, he's in this temple as a 12-year-old talking to the teachers of the law about asking God's them word. questions. Yeah. And so he's obtaining wisdom. Even though he's God Almighty, knows all things, he still is obtaining wisdom the same way man has obtained wisdom and understanding throughout all time. But he does it not to show how smart he is and not to obtain prestige for sharing his information with people, but instead to give them... Um, give them wisdom in teaching so that they can be set free from their sin. And then actually following through with that, not just through the words he's teaching, but through the actions he's living out. As he on the cross. gives up his life. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so um, as the teacher describes, <clears throat> the heart of this world does not rest. So where do we find our, these are kind of, uh, kind of repeating a little bit, but, but where do we find our freedom from fear and anxiety? Um, you know, if, if the, all the world's uh, strivings uh, leave us empty and uh, um, uh, uh, frustrated and, and um, depressed, mm -hmm. uh, where do we, where do we, where are we freed from this uh, anxiety and depression. This is why, so Ecclesiastes doesn't give us that answer in the sections we've been reading. And that's why you have to take the whole consult of not just Ecclesiastes, but of the scripture at large to know that um, if you were just to read the sections we've read of Ecclesiastes so far, and then you ask the question, so where do we find our hope? You don't know. You're just kind of like, well, I know it's not here. And I know it's not under here. And it's like you're in a room digging under the furniture looking for something and you can't find it. I know it's not there. I've checked that place. It's done. Let's go over here and look. And the inevitable searching doesn't produce any results for the teacher, but that's where the author comes back in at the end of Ecclesiastes, which we'll read and points us in the right direction. He doesn't say this is what it is, but he says, you haven't checked over there in the corner yet. You might want to go look over there. In essence saying over there is where the fear and the honor of the Lord, which produces wisdom or is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and so uh, we find our hope because we know the rest of the story. 
we aren't stuck in the middle of Ecclesiastes people. We're the completion of Ecclesiastes yeah. people and the rest of the scriptures given to us people, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, where we know that we find meaning and purpose by his life that's been um, given to us through the power of his resurrection. Yeah, We find that, that Christ is wisdom personified. Mm. Christ is truth personified. The way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and in him we have life, mm. and and um, and that's um, the the life that Jesus is talking about is an eternal life with God that goes not only in this world but also into eternity, yep. and um, and and so He gives us that that peace that passes understanding um, uh, that only comes in Christ Jesus, mm. and. Um, and so um, we see frustration and work and toil. Uh, this, again, is different from what God intended. Uh, we can go back to the beginning of, uh, you know, the book of Genesis. And uh, again, God seemed to have a different purpose. Um, and so, at you know, when God first created the world, work wasn't um, drudgery. Um, it meant to give us what? Yeah, to give us the things we need. Yeah. yeah. Um... And it was actually part of the world, and I think it will be part of the world to come. I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's I worked my whole life, I can retire, and then I'll die one day, and I'll go f- play a harp on a cloud. And yeah. I think work will be part of the new heaven and the new earth as well, but it'll be yeah. work which gratifies. Yeah. And it'll be, instead of being a toiling under the sun, which is meaningless and heavy, it'll be a a light, uh, a joyful crazy, experience. cheerful experience where that's fraught with meaning and purpose. Yeah. And we see a little bit of the new heaven and new earth at work today. Mm-hmm. We get a glimpse or a shade of it when we as Christians serve our neighbor by the power of Christ. We, Even though our works are dirty rags and toil and meaninglessness, there's an aspect within us where Christ is working through us. And that work, as I mentioned earlier with the cross, is meaningful. Yeah. You know, it's not always easy and not always glamorous. Gives us a joy, a, a satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that has a lasting, what was the phrase you used at the beginning? A lasting... A significance. Lasting significance. Um, and, of course, in the new heaven and the new earth, it'll be lasting significance because we've got forever, right? We'll have literally no time to define how lasting the significance will be it'll just be fraught with purpose meaning and lasting significance okay so we're coming to the end of our time here and Mm -hmm. any kind of closing thoughts that you want to share Uh, i'm looking forward to moving on to chapter three i think chapter three is for anyone who's experienced any of ecclesiastes a lot of what you might know from it maybe from a 60s song uh can be found uh in chapter three um, and so there's a couple of good verses there where we start to move forward from finding purpose in our life to the de- uh, description about time and how uh, the the uh, the master of the clock that's always uh, cruel and and uh, and never stops for us. It's always yeah. ticking. Uh, it's it's uh, and we can never go backwards. Cruel in time. master. Yeah. yeah. And so we have this uh, this definition of time given to us by the teacher, which gives us uh, once more not the answer we're looking for, but in the pursuit of understanding, we gain wisdom by trying to find where meaning can be found. Okay. Okay. Um, we do want to share one one announcement before we close. We're um, 
as we look ahead, we're considering to change our time from 10.30 in the morning to mm-hmm. 10 in the morning. Yep. And so starting next Wednesday, um, uh, this Coffee and Clergy podcast uh, will begin at 10 a.m. Yep. So if you're listening live with us and you intend to do so next week, 10 a.m. will be the time. So. Yeah. Um, anything else, or shall we have a closing prayer? Let's have a closing prayer. Okay, if you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this world, and as we look at it and, and try to live it on our own, uh, again, we can get frustrated and uh, uh, despair and want to give up, and uh, it just happens over and over again. But uh, you have something different for us. Um, you want us to enjoy this world. You want us to recognize that all of the gifts that we have are gifts from your hand. And so we thank you for that. And and the greatest gift of all is a, a relationship with you is the gift of your son. Jesus Christ is the gift of your Holy Spirit who lives in us uh, to guide and lead us. And for that, we thank and praise you. We, we ask for the wisdom that grows out of this Christ-likeness uh, so that we, as we live it in the world, uh, we can love and serve our neighbor and do that with great joy and delight. And so bless us as we do the work that you give us each day. And as we go from here, we just ask that you be with us to guide us in every aspect of our life. We thank you for this time, for your word, for the wisdom you give us. And uh, I commend our listeners to you as well as ourselves. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.